Hi, everybody. Welcome to Security Management Magazine podcast and our special series from the ASIS Mentoring Committee. I'm your host, Chuck Harrell. Today's topic, leadership in action, what I've learned with my special guest, Mr. Basil Steele. Welcome, Basil. Good morning. We have to put street creds right up front, get you established here as an expert. So tell us about your past professional experience. Well, Chuck, I started out in engineering at an early age, I would say, because I worked at a gas station with my father. So engineering was in our blood. And I spent 36 years working at Sandia National Laboratories. And while I was there, I would go from like a technical staff member to project leaders up to level one and level two management. And when I retired, I was actually at a deputy director. And through that entire career of 36 years, I worked on security. So again, security now is part of my upbringing and part of my blood. That was a very important experience for me to give me the ability to do what I do today. 36 years, that's that's incredible. What set you on this path? I was one of five kids and my other brothers all went into technical fields as well. And I was the youngest, they called me the baby, but I kind of followed in their footsteps. I love to take things apart and put them back together again. And when I got to my first job, they said, Basil, we want you to go out and study video cameras and understand the video system. And from then on, it was all security. And you you actually did the work. Exactly. At the laboratories, we did testing, evaluation of technology. We designed, installed, maintained, and operated systems, so I got to do everything. Did you plan this as a career path? I mean, it sounds like it just kind of came naturally from your family environment, but how did you get to where you are today? No planning. It's just like being in the right place at the right time. When I started at Sandia, we had just had the Munich Olympics where there was a terrorist attack. Oh, yes. And the United States decided we needed to improve our security some of our most critical assets. And so the laboratory had a focus on security. That happened in 72. By 75, we were up and running, going out, designing and installing systems all across the country and eventually around the world. As you as you moved forward here and you were upwardly mobile, what do you think helped you the most? I, I started out, like I said, doing the technical work, hands-on, a lot of fun. And then I became a project lead. And I want to tell you, when you become a project lead and move away from the technical, there is a gap. And I had to start letting other people do work and manage them and manage the work through them. Right before I became a level one manager, I was part of this international training course where we went out and we taught foreign countries how to protect nuclear material and nuclear facilities. And in that training, it was a four-week class, I learned all aspects of physical security. There were some real things that I had no idea when I'm just focused on technical, what it meant to actually manage projects, call schedule performance, what it meant to actually solve security problems from an analysis, risk analysis standpoint. So all of those critical learnings came from that training course. And I was first the instructor, then I eventually became the course director. If you want to learn something, stand in front of foreign nationals and have to teach them the concepts and then walk away and go back to their country, understanding those concepts and how to apply them to their own facilities. Now that's really fascinating. It almost seems like you went backwards in your career to go forward. In other words, I, I'm the same way. I was a police officer, right? And when I came into the security career, I had to kind of go back and learn some basics that were not the developed in my police career. And this training thing really seems that was kind of like your defining moment, wasn't it? It was my defining moment. I had to learn every aspect of security. Now, tell me about a career setback. We've all had those. I've had more than one, as people know. Uh, What was kind of a big setback for you and how did you deal with it? I wouldn't necessarily call it a setback, but 
some of the big challenges is that as a, as a laboratory, we work for the government, which means our funding is attached to our government funding. And there were times when funding would be there, it would be taken away. We had to move from one set of customers to another set of customers. So those are the type of setbacks when you don't know day by day whether you're going to have funding to do the work that you thought you were supposed to be working on. Call schedule and performance is always a management desire. And when you don't understand what your budgets and costs are going to be, it's hard to manage projects and people. Oh, yeah. It's very difficult. I, I remember at the studios, if I saved money the previous year, they took it away in the next year. So they wanted you to spend it all <laughs> instead of save it. It's kind of weird. So tell us what uh, what would you say the most important lesson you learned you know, in your career and how this proved to be invaluable? So Chuck, I always took training classes. I mean, I've never stopped taking training classes. I still do today. And in some of those training classes, I learned some of the basic things that I really needed to know and some skills I needed to improve on. And when you're in leadership management, communication skills become one of those most important things. And one of the classes I was taking, they talked about three basic communications that we do every time, every day, at home, at play, at work. And that is when you're communicating and discussing with people, you're trying to get them to understand what you're saying. You know, I'm Chuck, this is what I'm saying. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then once we both understand the discussion point, we might move into a debate. And a debate is like, Chuck, you're wrong and I'm right. You're saying <laughs> no balance. You're, you're right, right. I'm wrong and I'm right. And you're sitting there debating back and forth. Sooner or later, somebody has to make a decision. Somebody has to decide what we are going to do as a group or as a team. And those communication skills, when they gave us those examples and they told us, you better de decide who owns that decision. You know, is it the boss? Are we gonna vote you know, majority rules? But if you can do that, three different communication skills with your teams and have them understand how when we get to that debate, how we're going to get out of the debate and make a decision. I found out from that day forward, make sure you communicate that well. Well, as you said, uh, pre-show, we talked about it. Uh, you cannot lead where you won't go or you can't teach what you don't know. These are important exactly. concepts in this. Yeah. <laughs> what is the greatest piece of advice uh, you received, right? Uh, I remember mine in the police academy was uh, I talked a lot, which ironically turns out to be what I'm doing now for a living. And my tech officer said, Harold, if I ask you what time it is, don't tell me how to build a watch. That was the best advice I ever got. What was your best advice? And my advice is similar to yours because it had to do with communications. And I talk a lot, given the chance. I also like to play a lot, crack jokes and all that good stuff. But I was told by my mentor one time, Basil, people don't know how to take you serious. They don't know whether you're playing, joking, serious, etc. You need to communicate the way you're trying to make a point. And then I had another time when the mentor came and told me, you went out and said this in public. People took it wrong. They think you meant this. If you meant it, don't do anything. If you didn't mean it, you need to go fix it. So that's the type of mentoring I got from a communication standpoint. And so what I learned to do was when I meet strangers, turn on the professional basil. When I met a stranger and had time to get to know them and formed a relationship, then I could bring the other basil in and make you know, jokes and have fun. So that's my natural state, but I had to learn to control it. Great, great advice. Now, would you have chosen this career if you could uh, and make the same decision again? I didn't really choose this career as you kind of discussed. The career chose me, but would you, would you do it all over again? In today's environment with the challenges we have, absolutely. I love security today. I mean, I will do this job until I retire 
multiple times. If you call me tomorrow and say, Basil, people need help in this topic. Security has that satisfaction of knowing you're making a difference. You look at the TV today, you look at what's going on in the world today. Every day there are multiple security challenges popping up from school shootings to drones going over airports in London, shutting down the airport. All of those are security challenges. And like, again, I'm an engineer. You put a problem in front of me, I want to solve it. And we have some serious security challenges today. What would you go back and change, if anything? I would probably go back and get my MBA. <laughs> what as I kept going into this career, it became apparent that to be a successful manager and understand how to do security challenges, you need to have a good business degree in your portfolio. I had a manager who worked with me. He was dual degree. He had a MBA and a mechanical engineering. And the things that man could do, I was most impressed with. So I started learning more business skills as time went on. And today that's almost paramount for anybody thinking about going into this field. So given your long career and uh, and successes, who would you say has been the most influential person in your life or your career or both and why? Well, it kind of goes back to what you said, life, because I mentioned the gas station where my father owned that gas station and his work ethics were something to admire. I mean, we would get to that gas station during the summer when we were not in school, probably at eight o'clock in the morning and go home at 10 o'clock at night. And so we were worked long, hard hours. And I never heard him complain. I never heard him say, this is wrong. All he did was say, this is my business. I'm going to be successful. He had a good relationship with all of his customers. And that's where I learned a lot of my lifetime career work ethics. I'd like you to define leadership in a personal way, not the textbook definition we read about, but what does it mean to Basil Steele? What does leadership mean to you? Well, to me, Chuck, leadership is all about relationships. If I am going to lead people, I have to not try to do things or have them do things I'm not willing to do. So from a leadership standpoint is how do you have the right skills so that people would want to follow you wherever you lead them? And there were a lot of classes I took becoming a leader, and those classes helped shape my skills. I used skills from home. I had to raise two kids. I used skills I had developed at church, but there's a variety of places you get these leadership skills so that you can manage people and have the right relationship with them. Now, to me, leadership has always been a verb, right? I think you have to do things instead of just have the title. Does that make sense? Exactly. You have to do things to let people know that you care about them. That was the secret to my success. My staff never doubted the fact that I cared about them and I wanted them to be successful. If we're going with that definition, do you think leadership skills are learned? or something you just have naturally? I think it's a combination of both. I think I was born with some natural leadership skills, but they were seen by others. And my mentors saw that leadership skill and they pulled them out of me and then taught me how to make them better. Now, how long have you been in a leadership role? Oh my God, well over 40 years. And it started back in high school. Uh, I was on the senior committees. I would leave different topics in those committees. When I got married, again, you're in a leadership role in partnership with your spouse. When you go to professional side of the house, when I got to Sandia and I got to be a project leader, I am now responsible for the people underneath me being successful. So it's been at least 30, 40 years. And, and it's a big responsibility, isn't it? It's a feeling. You have to feel it. You have to definitely feel it and you have to be sincere. 
people can see when you're really sincere about leading them or are you just there to make money <laughs> right and if you're just there to make money they're going to sniff that out in a minute and you're not going to be leading anybody because they're going to say i want to find a better manager to lead me well would you say this comes from a natural like of people oh yes i do like working with people i like being part of teams and so it did come natural for me when i got into that role what do you wish you had known before you had your let's say official management position in security what what, what do you what do you wish you'd say you know if i only <laughs> knew that, I wouldn't have been in so much trouble right now. I could tell you because I was scared to death when they promoted me. When I when I became a supervisor, I was like, I know nothing about what this job entails. I went to my immediate boss and said, where is my guide? Where is my, here's how to be a manager guy? And he laughed and said, go away. So yeah. <laughs> I went back I went back to my administrative assistant and said, you're going to have to help me a lot because I have no, I don't know even what I can sign and cannot sign. I don't know the legal implications. I don't know. I, I was a technical person, not a manager. And so thank God I had people who understood corporate policies and could hold me by the hand for the first year or so to get me past all the mechanics of just being a manager. The people part was going to come. It was already there. But the corporate piece, all the corporate policies and places you could get in trouble, I had to learn those. Well, it's interesting you should say that. I remember I had a similar experience. I said, here you go. You're in charge of uh, 500 guards now, and uh, you're, the, <laughs> you're the head of security at the studio. And I said, well, what do I do? And they said, you'll figure it out. And I think people in leadership positions that recognize other people that are potential leaders know this about people. And they say, they're going to figure it out. That's why we're picking them. Does that make sense? Makes sense, but it's scary. It, it, is, it is a little scary. <laughs> Well, and of all these skills you've put together over the years, what do you think were the most difficult to learn? Well, it, it's going to kind of vary depending on what level of leadership I was in. And at the lower levels, you're developing those basic skills and understanding that people are different. So you can't lead everybody the same way. Yes. And as you develop those people skills and say, okay, this person likes to read, or this person is a driver driver, this person is analytical, and they require different leadership skills. And it took me some time to develop those different skills based on the people I was leading. I, I took all those tests myself and uh, my dot came down right in the middle of all four squares. And my bosses <laughs> said, they've never seen somebody like that. And I said, what's it mean? And it's, they said, it means you can speak to anybody at any level, just switch hats. I can talk to an exactly. analytic. I can talk to the emotional guy right away. Uh, and I found that very interesting. It gets you in trouble sometimes. If you ever gotten in trouble, for example, one time I was speaking to somebody that was very emotional, like, oh, it's okay. Let me give you a hug. Everything's going to be great. And the guy next to me, <laughs> who was not that way, was mad because I he was an analytic, right? And he says, well, how come you're favoring exactly. them? And I said, I'm not favoring exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm just speaking to them the, the way they need to hear. And you, you asked me how they ever got in trouble. It wasn't a one-on-one -on -one thing. It was more like a group dynamic because there were some of the people in my team that we socialized outside of the corporation. And we played volleyball together and we did other things. And people at the job site were jealous and angry because they thought they were my favorites. So I had to have a meeting, sit everybody down in the room and say, let's talk through this. Here, If this is a problem, what is the solution? And believe it or not, the solution was I took the whole team out for lunch once a month. I never heard again anybody complaining because they thought I cared about them and that I was doing things with the whole team and not just this one or two people social events. Right. But well, yeah. more, more importantly, uh, they didn't think you cared about them. You actually did. That's exactly. sincerity. Yeah. You, can't, you can't fake <laughs> sincerity, can you? 
No, you cannot. Now, what leadership lessons can you share with our audience that they might take away as, you know what, I'm going to try that? What I would tell anybody I am mentoring is that if you're going to be a leader, you have to understand that everyone is your customer. You're going to have outside customers who are going to be paying you to do work, and you want to make sure you're going to do a satisfactory job for those people. But you also have internal customers that you have to pay attention to. And so those internal customers could be other managers, they could be your staff, they could be other people in the laboratory totally disconnected from your work. But anytime you walk into a room, you ought to make sure you form a relationship with the people you're dealing with because that's your success there. If people think you're trying to make them successful, whether they are outside or inside, and your job is to lead a group of people, when they see that behavior and that trait, you have made a big step toward being successful. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot here for our last, uh, kind of our last thought about the leadership position. What do you think your subordinates might say are the traits or skills they'd like you to improve upon or sustain? Again, it's always going to start with communications. You cannot over communicate with your staff or your leadership. So they're always going to have that yearning for more communications, whether it's verbal, whether it's written, whether it's through other people, they're going to say that trait needs to be improved. They tell me that I have good presentation skills, so I can go out and present. I think I have good documentation skills. PowerPoint became second nature to me, so I could make things in PowerPoint faster than the average person. They call you a PowerPoint ranger. But those skill sets allowed me to get through a lot of the problems I might stumble into. Because if you can take a very complex concept and break it down to fifth grade level so everybody in the audience can understand it, that's a big thing. Now, I did. I remember, again, going back to Sherry, when I was first a young staff member, I would sit in meetings in the back of the room and pray to God nobody called on me because I was scared <laughs> to death. So over time, if you go to enough meetings, listen to your people around you, you start to learn how to tell those same stories they tell. And now you're not frightened anymore. You're able to step in there and say, okay, before I might have stumbled on this question, the next time I'm going to nail it. Now, I'd like to switch over to one of my favorite topics, mentoring. A topic that may be old school to some people, but I think it needs to uh, have a, a revision myself. So the security industry is evolving. What should young professionals seek an advancement do to prepare themselves for job opportunities and promotions? The, the number one thing that I do when I'm talking to an audience is to tell them if you're going to be a successful person, you have to be able to explain the whys on what you do. Now, that, hear that and say, what the hell are you talking about, Basil? Why? Well, in our profession, in, in security professionals, we're always asked a question like, do I need to add more cameras? Do I need to put in locks? Do I need to have my cyber and physical security integrated? You know, what do I need to do? Well, when the what questions come and you start answering those, you need to be able to succinctly tell them why. Why are we adding cameras? Why are we doing a risk assessment? Why are we putting in an entry control, card readers, barriers, etc.? And if you can explain that, you're going to be a successful person. So for those coming into the industry, you need to be like a sponge sucking up everything. You need to understand the technologies and how they work. And if you understand why a technology performs a certain way, then you can answer the questions. You need to also understand that your customers are going to come first 
and you need to have those good written and verbal skills to talk to your customers. And you need to be able to tell them why people, technologies and procedures are doing the things they are doing. You need to be able to tell them the difference between safety and security, because a lot of times in our industry, those two things get clobbed together and you, you think you're talking safety and you're talking security and vice versa. And that's where your mentors come in. If you're talking to a person who's experienced a lot of this as a young security professional, they will mentor you through all of these pitfalls that you're going to see on the fact that we don't communicate clearly what we mean by a lot of things we say. Now, did you have mentors in your career? I certainly did. I remember my first office mate, and this is back in the 70s, y'all. So for a lot of people, young people, you might not even understand what I'm about to say. We actually had telephone books. (laughs) And and in those telephone books would be like 8,000 different employees working at Sandia Lab. And I remember my mentor looking at me saying, Basil, the challenge is not solving the problem yourself. The challenge is looking at these 8,000 people and finding the person that probably already has solved it. So you take this phone book and you study this phone book so that when the time comes, and you need some help, these 8,000 people will help you. And he was totally correct. Every time, Chuck, I got into a problem, I would go and find a person and say, help. They would stop what they're doing, put their arm around me and say, let's go. I'm going to tell you how to do this work. I'm going to show you how we did it before. I'm going to tell you why we did it the way we did it. And that mentorship was solid gold for me as a young, scared staff member. Well, and I find people always want to help. Almost always. If you ask somebody, they will help you. But most people are reluctant to ask for help. This is what I notice. Exactly. And that's the part they kept hammering in my head. Go ask somebody for help. And once I learned to do that, life got a lot easier. Mentoring, of course, is super helpful in navigating your career, especially in security. But can it work to your disadvantage a little bit? I mean, I I took protégés under my wing because I knew they were the brightest and the best, and I wanted to help them and bring them up into management. But then you get the jealousy. Then you get the feedback from the staff of, oh, well, that person is the favorite, and I'm not going to be advancing. How do you you balance that mentoring with the image from public image of employees and the politics and stuff? Well, you basically have to say, this is open to everybody. If I'm helping one person and another person wants me to help them, I can't say I'm too busy and I can't help you. You have to learn how to manage the the whole team and say, if somebody needs some specific mentoring, I will help you. Now, the help might look like I don't have time, so I'm going to go over here and find somebody else who does have time. But if you could link them with good mentors, if you don't have time to do it, they also see that as a positive. Now, do you think it's possible to have a, a successful career in security without mentoring? There's the old school mentoring is you and I are senior guys and been around a long time and know a lot of stuff. That's top down. I'm finding mentoring is also working bottom up. A young person would teach me things I didn't know because they're in the technology space or something where I wasn't 25 years ago. And that is exactly right. You hit the nail right on the head. And in today's environment, with the changes that are coming into the security industry, you need somebody. it's, It's like if you go to the medical field and you look at the Mayo Clinic, I've had people go to the Mayo Clinic and come back and tell me. They say, Basil, the difference in that is they treat you like a problem and they bring in all the subject matter experts. And the subject matter experts run a ton of tests on you. And then they come back as a team again and say, based on all these different things we saw, this is what we think the solution is. And so today it's the same in the security field. You need a team of subject matter experts. Nobody knows it all anymore. It's too much. 
You have the physical security experts, you have your cybersecurity experts, you have your management experts, you have all these experts, and you need to bring those experts in as a team to solve the difficult security problems we face today. What are some of the uh, the biggest changes you've seen in the security industry that speak to this difficulty in knowing everything? If I had to put one thing in front, it would be technology. You heard me earlier mention technologies, people, and procedures. Well, the people, we haven't changed that much. And the procedures, nah, not that much either. Right. But the technology, oh my God, it has changed so much since when I started this field that I had to keep learning and learning and learning and learning. So today, if you look at a security problem, it's totally different than before. Think about a bank robbery. To rob a bank, I had to go to the bank, open it up, and get the money out. To rob a bank today, I can hack in from overseas and take the electronic money out of the account. That's that's super complex on how now we have to lock down our Internet of Things to protect the physical aspect that touched those Internet of Things, if that makes sense. Well, it I does. Mean, like- yeah. And with all this with all this technology now, of course, the outlook for a career in corporate security today is is bigger and broader and more open than ever. Would you agree? Exactly. It sure is. I mean. We gave remote access to our critical assets. <laughs> so I can touch critical assets without ever coming to your facility. It's kind of anti-security. It is kind of weird, isn't it? Let's give a couple closing advice uh, pieces for people. So first, what advice can you give our, our podcast listeners seeking career opportunities or entry into the security industry? There's a lot of places to enter security. It's not being a guard anymore. And so my advice would be ASIS does an outstanding job in putting all those subject matter experts in front of people. So if you have the chance to go to some of the ASIS events, you know, your local chapter, the national annual seminars, all of those things are opportunities where you can meet subject matter experts and you can listen to them talk about some of their challenges and what it took for them to get from beginning to where they are today. And you never know where that entry point's gonna be. One of the challenges we have is that we don't have a strong, what I would call educational component in colleges. You can go into criminal justice, law enforcement, and other things as a career, but you don't really have a career mechanism in most of our universities where you can walk in and say, when I come out of here, I am ready to walk into the security industry as a subject matter expert in XYZ. It's very strange, so, isn't it? It's almost the only <laughs> profession that does not have that, isn't it? It's like I say, I compare it to the medical profession. When you come out of medical school, you're ready to go be a doctor. Yeah. When you come out of most colleges and universities, you might have an engineering degree, you might have a MBA, you might have all these other degrees, but it's not like a security degree. So no. you're right. We're, we, we have a challenge there. Very interesting. Now, uh, in closing, what's the best advice? you can give someone who wants to be a CSO? If you want to be a chief security officer, you, you need to have a technical and business understanding in the career today. I mean, people are going to be talking with acronyms all over the place. I remember when I first started working for the government and they started talking about things like the SecDef. I go like, what the heck is a SecDef? That's a Secretary of Defense. And you would think everybody who knew that the Secretary of Defense had an acronym, but it's like, I didn't know. Well, as a CSO and you're sitting in meetings, you're going to be hearing all types of acronyms and terminology and cyber this and physical that and, oh, the bottom line and, oh, I need a dashboard so you can tell me how you know to invest in my future security. 
all of those things you learn piece by piece, like eating the elephant. So for those entering now, start taking chunks of this elephant and understanding it, understanding it from a business standpoint and understanding it from a security standpoint. And if you don't make that connection between those two, you can never get into management. Today's topic was leadership in action. What I've learned with my special guest, Mr. Basil Steele. Basil, thanks for coming on the show. You're more than welcome, Chuck. For Security Management Magazine and the ASIS Mentoring Committee, I'm your host, Chuck Carroll.